This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Deer Lodge, located in the Canadian Rockies by scenic Lake Louise. Deer Lodge, there's no reason to lock the doors because there's nobody here you'd want to keep out. Happy New Year, everybody. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, our New Year celebration continues into week two with 1981's Ghost Keeper and 2008's The Children. But before we start the show, Kelsey, what do we do? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. That is right. Give me a question. What film in the Halloween series, so from 1978 to 1989, was the first to not involve John Carpenter? Um, To not involve him? That's what it says. Okay, so he was involved in two. Was it four? It is. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, 1988. He begrudgingly made a sequel, or worked on the sequel. I think he wrote the story or something like that. I don't know if he directed it or not off the top of my head. Season of the Witch was his original idea for Halloween, which was to cycle through. He didn't want to do that first sequel. He wanted to do something different every movie. And then he abandoned ship after that. Didn't do very well. So, for you, I'm going to give you the harder one first. Okay. In Mama 2013, for how many years are Victoria and Lily missing? I'm going to say four years. Five. Of course. Oh, darn. <laughs> Five years. What do you think of uh, Mama in retrospect? It's been a while since we saw that one. I like it. I just hate the ending. Yeah. I hate it a lot. <laughs> we should go back and watch that one, everybody. All right. Moving on to our first movie, Ghost Keeper from 1981, directed and written by Jim Makachuk. And an additional writing credit for Doug McLeod, starring Reva Spire, Murray Ord, Sherry McFadden, and Georgie Collins as the titular Ghost Keeper. What is the movie about? Three friends are in the mountains for New Year's Eve, but they want to get a little crazy. So they go off the beaten path and they find an old abandoned hotel. Mm hmm. But it's not so abandoned, and things go bad. All right. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes. Why do you say no? Well, I'm glad I saw it. I don't necessarily think it's interesting or fun to watch. It's different, and it's unique, and it's, it's interesting because now what we all consider to be like quote-unquote, atmospheric horror. This is definitely... This was definitely laying down the groundwork for them. Oh, absolutely. But I don't think anyone's ever seen it, so it doesn't matter. No, it's... uh, (laughs) It's a minor cult 
movie. Is it? Yeah. Uh, people do care about this movie. I would say <laughs> you need to watch it for the first half at least. That That's what I would say. The second half, it goes downhill. And we'll get into exactly why that is. So, you can take our advice, mine or Kelsey's. Where do you find it? You can stream it for free if you are a Prime member on Amazon. It's also on something called Tubi TV, which our second movie is also on. It's the only place that it's free, The Children. I've never heard of Tubi TV, and I wasn't about to sign up just to watch these movies. Maybe if there's more, it'll make it worth it. Who knows? But you can watch it or just listen to us talk about it instead. And when we get back, we will be talking about 1981's Ghost Keeper. I, uh, I don't think they made a trailer for this movie. All right, first off, we should probably say it's called Ghost Keeper. It's not about ghosts. There are no ghosts. It's about a Wendigo. Yes. For people that don't know what the Wendigo is, it comes from Native American lore, which basically says if you become a cannibal, if you cannibalize another human, if you eat the flesh of another human, it makes you crazy and hungry for more flesh. And you become like a wild animal with these ancient powers, but you're like evil, you know, and you want to eat more people. That's what the Wendigo is, depending on who you talk to, changes how you pronounce it, I guess. Did you look up what other movie we watched that had the Wendigo? No, but there's a Wendigo in Until Dawn, which for you horror movie fans out there, if you own a PlayStation 4 and you haven't played Until Dawn, what are you doing? You are sleeping on it. (laughs) That has Wendigo in it as well. Yes. Uh, And it's like the central plot point. It all revolves around these Wendigo. There's an episode from Supernatural about a Wendigo. There is, yes. And uh, I'm pretty sure we watched one about a Wendigo, but it's not coming to mind. Okay. So, what actually happens, Kelsey? Get us get us going on the plot here. Well, we start with a quote that tells us about Wendigo and how they live on human flesh. So, it's like, right from the get-go, you're like, well, then why is it called Ghost Keeper? Yeah. No idea. Yep. Anyway, the movie quality is really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, so... All right, I guess maybe we can get into the background of the story. It was made extremely cheaply in, in Canada. Canada. Yes. It was a what they call a tax shelter movie where investors will put money into this project to protect them from having to pay taxes on that money. And about halfway through filming the movie, the money just started running out. And nobody on the money end were really motivated to make a good movie. The only people who were motivated to make a good movie were the actual artists. Those are the only ones. It stars uh, the the gentleman in the movie, Murray Ord, Marty. He actually, by all accounts, is a very nice man and would never say the things he says in this movie or behave the way he does. He was really uh, dedicated to this movie. Obviously, the director, Jim Makachuk, dedicated to this movie. He was talking recently about making a sequel as recently as 2012. Really? Yes. Uh, But that still has not come to pass. I'd be curious to see what they make. But the point is, is they were running out of funds. Obviously, they didn't have the best funds in the first place and, you know, the best film preservation or anything like that. But when they started running out of money, they had to 
uh, scrap a lot of their ideas that they wanted to do with the Wendigo. So you see him very rarely in the movie and he doesn't look that great. That's part of the reason why you see him very rarely. Like a homeless person. Right. And uh, they wanted to do more with him and make him better looking, but they just didn't have the money to. And so they ended up like rewriting the movie as they were filming it. And you can really tell like they're trying to get around these budget costs because about halfway through the movie, it just all the momentum dies and it's a little bit nonsense and it completely changes direction from where it was. The first half is just so spectacular. I I think spectacularly well done. Like you say, with that sort of slow build atmospheric horror, I think it does that very, very well. But yes, it does kind of fall apart. And when you're watching this film, there's a lot of film grain and 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 uh, pop and stuff like that. It, it feels like you're watching it on an old projector. Yes. It even sounds like it. I was going to say that... Uh, Murray Ord ended up becoming the president of Canada's version of SAG, actually. Huh. Yeah. You know, they're up in the mountains, and this guy and this girl, who we find out later are just boyfriend and girlfriend, although I thought they were married. Yeah. For the most of the movie. They go into this little tiny general store, and... You know, the guy is just kind of a dick. He's, like, making fun of this dude who works in the general store who's done nothing to them. Yeah. And the general store guy is kind of putting up with it. Marty's uh, just obnoxious. Yeah, he really is. Some authentic country rustic. When's the Whitland start? Can I help you, folks? And this other girl shows up who I guess is also their friend, though that's not really ever made very clear Chrissy, either. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, they're all friends. They're all here, here together. They're staying in, in some cabin nearby with other people. A lodge, as she says, it's so boring back at the lodge. My date is boring. Everything's boring. So <laughs> she's all about like, since we're up here, let's go exploring. Let's go on an adventure kind of thing. And... The guy inside the general store is, you better stick to the roads. The mountains can be dangerous. And the other guy goes, look, Gramps, we can handle getting lost. And he says, there are worse things in the mountains than getting lost. Look, Gramps, uh, we're not going to get lost. There are worse things out there than getting lost. So, like, I don't know if he's supposed to know about the Wendigo? Or, or could be talking about wild animals or anything else, but it, it is very ominous. So they're on their little snowmobiles, which I know I never knew were so low to the ground. Yeah. No idea. Never been on one. And they see a sign that says, private property, stay out. And of course, the blonde girl who very obviously wants to sleep with the main Marty, guy. Marty. Yeah. Chrissy and Marty there. Jenny is Marty's girlfriend. So Marty... Is like, don't worry about it. And the blonde girl says, since when did you play by the rules? Since when are you afraid? And she's like, I'm not afraid. I just don't want to be stuck out here. Because also a storm is starting. Yeah. Like this whole idea of let's get lost in the snowstorm. Like, well, do you want to freeze to death? Because that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But anyway, they go up to this hotel. And they fall. They find all this uh, clean powder that hasn't been touched. So they figure the place must be abandoned. So the blonde girl decides, oh, yeah, let's have fun. And she starts doing, like, donuts in her snowmobile. Well, she fucks it up and ends up destroying the snowmobile. 
So now they have no way of getting all three of them down the mountain. And a snowstorm is building up, so they go inside. And my goodness, does it look like, like you said, they didn't have much money because it looks like props just kind of took some shit and threw it in there. Okay, so <laughs> according to the director, he did this interview with the Terror Trap website, terrortrap.com, back in 2012. That's where he said he wanted to make a sequel. Apparently, <laughs> Doug McLeod, the other guy who's credited with the screenwriter, helped him come up with some story ideas, but he didn't really do any writing. But he did know the owner of this hotel, and that's how they got the hotel. And it's closed during the winter, very much like The Shining. Um, apparently, though, Jim was not in influenced by Kubrick and The Shining like at all. This is not where any of this comes from. Especially since, I mean, The Shining had just come out. I don't know when he would have had the time. But anyway. I think this is a ripoff of Burnt Offerings, and we'll get there. Yes. They go out to this hotel, and everything that you see in the movie is exactly how the hotel was when they got there. That's the way the hotel was designed. So you're just saying this commentary on real people, <laughs> real hotel owners. Well, hotel owner, 80s. your design is awful. And it, like I said, it looks like somebody went in there and just threw some shit around. Yeah, it's, it's called the Deer Lodge, and it's next to a more famous hotel called the Chateau Lake Louise. Um, and this one's kind of hidden in the back, according to Jim. So they go inside, and just right in front of the main chick, Chrissy and Marty are totally flirting. Yeah. Like, they don't give a shit that she's there, which really pissed me off, really bothered me, but, oh well. Like, she doesn't seem to do anything about it, so okay. All right, that's just who the character is, I guess. Yeah. And Marty is looking at the the book, like, for people to sign in, and he notices that no one has checked in in five years. And she and the main girl goes, well, then why is it warm in here? Yeah. Someone Creepy. has the heat on. Yeah. Even though no one's been in here for five years. Furnace just doesn't turn itself on, I think Marty says. So they all go wandering around the hotel. And they find all these different rooms. And it's really creepy, and I think there's some really great music that goes along with this. The composer is Paul Zaza, who also did the music for Prom Night the same year. And apparently some of the music in Prom Night is the same as this. He made it for this and then reused it in Prom Night. Interesting. Yeah. But while they're exploring, Jenny, the main girl, finds a room that has a window open and a, a hanger on the door so the door won't close. It just keeps getting pushed closed, but it can't because the hanger is there. And this is a creepy shot. There's like a an yeah. eye staring at her and she like knows she's being watched, but she can't figure out she where She just feels from. uncomfortable and yeah. And then somebody whispers her name, Jenny. Now, how the girl, the woman knew her name? Not really explained. This all goes back to the whole Wendigo thing where in this version of the story, so the Wendigo apparently comes from Cree Indians, but I don't know. I can't verify that. Like I said, you get these kind of like powers when you become a Wendigo, but at the sacrifice of your humanity. And 
it's a little bit similar to the Skinwalkers. I would love to watch a movie about Skinwalkers because that is a really cool Indian legend. It's basically Indian black magic. And you, again, sacrifice your humanity to get powers in exchange. And it involves killing people, which is this great offense. Like you can't, and it, and it breaks you as a human being. And Wendigo is even further than that. You eat somebody and you lose like all of your humanity. But there's this mystical power associated with it. And in this version of the story, there's also a ghost keeper who takes care of the Wendigo. And I assume it's not explicitly stated, but I assume they also receive some sort of ghost keeping powers. In this case, being able to identify susceptible people. Jenny, in particular. Okay. See, that's kind of cool. Like, I like this. I really like this. So they all end up sitting by the fire, and Jenny is like, I wonder if anyone misses us at the lodge. And the blonde says, they're all probably too drunk to even notice that we're not there. And besides, it's the first quiet New Year's I've had in ages. Yeah. And she, and this is when Jenny decides to tell them, I think someone else is in here. How much time passed before you were like, I think someone might be in this house with us. Yeah, somebody spoke words to me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and the blonde is like, you mean like a vampire? Which I think is weird and random. It's a little random, yeah. And then she's like, hey, it's New Year's. Let's tell our deepest, darkest secrets and then she proceeds to tell this bizarre story about when she was 16, she wanted to be a hooker. And so she, like, slept with her substitute. She didn't want to be a hooker. Teacher? She wanted to prostitute herself, basically. She wanted, she didn't want to become a sex worker, <laughs> which is the appropriate terminology, by the way. <laughs> they have in the, I, I, every once in a while I'll dive into this, and I think I'm going to do it more for the show now, the parental guide. <laughs> that come that's on IMDb and under sex and nudity, a female character tells a story about prostituting herself to her substitute teacher when she was 16. Fairly graphic. <laughs> For $40 and she had sex with him twice. Wasn't it sixty? No, she initially asked for sixty, and all he had. She initially asked for a hundred. Oh, okay. To sleep with him once. Uh-huh. And then he said, I only have forty dollars, and then they had sex twice. <laughs> this is out of nowhere, other than to state that she's loose. Well, Chrissy is a little bit sexually liberated. And that's dangerous around Marty, who is not very respectful of his girlfriend, Jenny, and is all like, I thought we were going to do our own thing and live our own lives. I didn't and really understand that conversation. So, yeah, later they he has a conversation with Jenny because Jenny basically says, or she does ask, do you want to sleep with her? And he says, like you said, I thought we had an understanding. I thought you knew that's what this was. Mm -hmm. I pay all the bills. You spend all my money and I get to go have sex with whoever I want. Yeah. But she doesn't really act like she's on board with that plan. So no, was that the she plan? doesn't feel comfortable with it. And Marty throws it in her face. Who's like, he says, you don't have any problem spending all my money. That's part of this arrangement. Like, and she doesn't really have a comeback for that. But there's. There's not a lot 
I, I feel like there's more emotional baggage with sleeping with somebody else than there is spending money. You know what I mean? Like, it's – he is the dick it, in, in this but scenario. that's the problem. I don't know if he is because if that was the arrangement that they agreed upon, right. I'm not going to judge somebody. No, 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 no. That That's fine. I get it. I understand people have those sorts of arrangements, but I think he knows that she's uncomfortable with that. And that's why he goes immediately to the money. He doesn't discuss the further issue of their open relationship. Instead, he goes to the money as like, aha, you know, you get money, I get to sleep with whomever I want, knowing she's not comfortable with that. But she wants to stay with him, and it is her choice, but he knows she's uncomfortable and he doesn't care. And that's what makes him a dick, whether they have an arrangement or not. But before we ever get to that conversation, I forget why. I think he goes into the kitchen or something. He yeah. gets attacked by the old lady who's staying inside the lodge. Who never gets a name. Georgie Collins is the name of the actress. She's the ghost keeper. And they're all like, oh, we're not going to hurt you. Um, we're stuck here. We needed to come inside so we didn't freeze. And she says, you know, you're not allowed here. It's closed. And I think that's when Chrissy says, well, then why? what are you doing here? And uh, the old lady says, I ask the questions, girly. And this is what I wrote. Wait a minute. Is this Canada? Because that's when I started to notice that the Jenny does a lot of the oh sound. Really? I didn't even notice that at all. She did. Yeah, it started to get real, like, real obvious during this conversation. Yeah. You can't stay here. You gotta go now. We can't go anywhere until tomorrow. She has a, not like a super obvious Canadian accent, but like if you're listening, she definitely has one. And I love Georgie Collins, the ghost keeper. I absolutely love her in this. She's fine. No, she's fantastic. She is great. And all these scenes we see of her, like smoking and... The way she exhales, she doesn't blow out. She breathes out. Mm-hmm. The, that, that's got to hurt your vocal cords. But it looks cool. It looks really cool. They do a really good job of like lighting her in interesting ways. She looks really grungy. And she has something going on behind her eyes the entire movie. And that's what I really enjoy about that. Even when they have a knock, seemingly innocuous conversations and they're trying to be cordial to each other, she's still like interesting. She she looks like a crazy person throughout the entire film. Yeah. Even when she's having totally normal conversations. And I love that. I love it. I think she did a great job. I'm going to talk a lot about this conversation. There are a lot of little kind of neat things that are said here. Marty is asking her a billion questions, and she says, city folks are always asking questions. Went to the city once, couldn't breathe. Mountains is made for living. So, like, you can't live, you can't breathe in a city. You gotta go to the open area. But what's funny about that is that, is she really living? Would you consider what what she's doing to be living? I wouldn't, but apparently she does. She talks about how her boy's around here somewhere. Yes, she has a son that is around here somewhere. No one's ever alone in the mountains here. And that is because of the Wendigo, but we, we're not supposed to know that yet. And uh, he says, you don't like answering questions. And she says, you don't like not asking questions. Yeah, uh-huh. 
And they're just kind of pointing out each other's flaws here. Like, you're kind of a bastard, Marty, and you're used to being in charge, and that's not what's happening here. You are not in charge of this situation. So she puts them up in rooms, because as her story goes, she's the caretaker of this hotel, right? And she's finding rooms for them. I also do want to say, though, when she says my boy's around here somewhere, Chrissy says... Looks like we might have a good New Year's Eve party after all. Uh Uh-huh. There's a random dude here? I want to jump on that shit, Mm -hmm. is what she just said, basically. Yep. And that's this is really the extent of the New Year's in this. New Year's is the reason they're there, and that's it. It's another incidental holiday. So it's nighttime. The plumbing in the rooms is awful. Yeah, she says there's some hot water, not a lot. Also, they ask her, why did the hotel close? And she says, no business. And then when they're getting into their rooms, Chrissy says, wait, can't I lock my room? And she goes, no one here you want to keep out. It's not that she can't lock her room. It's that none of the rooms are locked and they could just go in them. So Chrissy decides she wants to take a bath and she has to use the communal bathroom because, again, plumbing shit in this place. And she goes to take a bath. And this is when Marty and and Jenny have their conversation about their relationship. There is one other thing I want to add to that conversation. Yeah. She says, you never tell me when you sleep with others. Yeah. Keep a secret. So, like, again, like, I don't understand. You want to know? Well, it feels like... But he's doing it right in front of you, and now that bothers you. Because he's not talking to her about it, and... It feels like this, someone, her boyfriend, who she's supposed to be close with, if they have an open relationship or not, and him going out on the side, it's like they don't have a relationship at all. She just spends his money and they have sex every once in a while. Like, that's uh, what the relationship is, and she wants it to be closer than that. Yeah, and this is when he says, you're crazy. And she freaks out and says, don't ever call me that. And he says, you know what? I figured it out about you. You're scared of flipping out like your old lady. You're crazy. Don't you call me that. Don't you ever call me that. You know what it is about you? I figured it out the other day. You're scared of flipping out. Just like your old lady. And so there's like this backstory that she had a crazy mother who died when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. But that's the extent of it. No, I think it lends to the ghost keeper identifying Jenny as being vulnerable. Um, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But that you're right. That that's that's it. It sets Jenny up as a character and her biological history of insanity in her family and her fear of going crazy herself but yeah so chrissy is taking a bath and while she is in there someone is coming up the hall in boots this is danny the ghost keeper's son he comes into the bathroom and he holds jenny underwater and drowns her meanwhile marty's like i'm gonna go look around or something like that i'm gonna find jenny or he wants to go sleep with chrissy Chrissy, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, but that's not what he tells Jenny. He tells her something different. I'm gonna go to the bathroom and wash up. Can't you just say where you're going? Sure, I'd be glad to. I'm uh, gonna go down the hall to the bathroom. I'm gonna turn the right tap on with you my left hand. You never tell me. You never do. Whenever you sleep with somebody. 
You're not even man enough to admit it. He goes off and he doesn't he doesn't find her. While he's gone, the old lady comes and talks to Jenny. Mm-hmm. And she says, you're an okay one. You're tough inside. I'm too old for this job because you need to be ready every minute. And that's you. Yeah. Which, again, you're telling me that she chose her because she's vulnerable. But she's saying that she t- chose her because she's tough. No, I think it's we're talking different kinds of vulnerable. Okay. She needs to be susceptible to... I mean, okay, let's not dance around this any longer. The ghost keeper is the keeper of the Wendigo. The Wendigo is the Homeless ghost keeper's man. son. <laughs> huh? Second son. She has an- another son, whether it's biological or she treats the Wendigo as if it is her son. Yeah, I don't think that he's her actual Well, Danny child. Danny works for him, too. Why would Danny do this? Oh, that's right. And, and to become a Wendigo, you have to be a person. Yeah. Continue. So I think, I think the Wendigo is her son, and she's looking for another person to become the ghost keeper because she is getting old. And so she she marks Jenny as being able to do it. She's young, she's capable, and she's susceptible to this sort of insanity. And that's where that thing with her mom comes back in. Anyway, Danny takes Chrissy's body and throws it into this meat locker thing, which is where the Wendigo is, and just plops her down like some meat, which is the way that... He slits her throat. To drain her blood or something? I don't know. No, because she's still alive. Oh. She sees the Wendigo... She starts to yeah, scream and, and then that's cuts when, her throat. Yeah, you're right. And just plops her down like a like a big hunk of meat in a in a meat locker, and that's the visual that Jim Mackichuk was going for. And because he's not he's not big on violence, he says he doesn't like Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Poltergeist, and George Romero. He says, maybe that's because I'm a Catholic boy from Canada. It's kind of hard for me to do any kind of down and dirty slasher or graphic horror movie, to be honest. The scene in Ghost Keeper that was sort of explicit and scary at the same time is Sherry's death. I wanted her to be like a piece of meat. Kind of like when there's a guy in a freezer and he takes a hunk of meat and he throws it on the table. I like the shot where she's pulled out of the frame by the Wendigo, who is now going to eat her. Jenny goes looking for her on her own because Marty never finds her. She goes to the bathroom and it's completely empty. It's dark and it's candlelit. That's where she runs into the old woman and they have that conversation. But then she goes back to her room and her and Marty lay down. And this is another really weird conversation. She says, I'm sorry we fight so much. So she takes on the blame of the fight they had earlier. Uh Uh-huh. She says, maybe I'm going through some sort of stage or something. I'm really insecure. And he says, well, you really jump on me sometimes. It's like, dude, she just fucking apologized. This is your turn to fucking apologize. Right, yeah. It's a very dysfunctional relationship. And she says, well, you don't have to call me those names. And she says, we should work harder. And that's when he says, do you want this relationship? It's like, do you? Yeah. Because it certainly sounds like you don't. Here she is trying to fix it, and you're just like, well, do you even want this relationship? I don't think he really cares. I don't think he does either. No. I think that she's making it be too much work for him. So Chrissy never shows up the entire night, obviously, and it's the next morning, and Marty goes outside to check on the snowmobiles, and one is missing, and the other one won't start. And when he looks at the engine, it looks like one of the lines have been cut. One of the fuel lines. And at the same time, the mother is speaking to her son 
And she says, you must be cold. I'll make you some good hot soup. You done good. He needed us. No, I'm not mad at you for killing the girl. Which, again, makes no sense. If this is what they've been doing for however long it's been, I think why it's just would he a little be worried of, that she'd be mad at him I if think he already a, knows she wants him to take care of him? I think it's a little bit of this sort of madness where the Danny's – he never says a word in, like, the entire movie. I think he's, like, subservient and a little, like, dim. That's probably why she needs to make sure she comforts and encourages him. And Jenny kind of overhears part of this conversation. Marty is really upset, and he goes to find some tools, and he accuses the old woman of sabotage. Where's Chrissy? Where's the other snowmobile? And she's like, she must have left. There are no tracks. She didn't leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's and like, then, I don't know. I don't didn't watch it. I, I have no idea what's happened. Why are you bothering me? And then he says to his <laughs> girlfriend, you stay here and babysit. Why? Yeah. I guess you don't give a shit if she kills no, her. I know. I'm going to go look for some tools. And he, and he goes off, off there. And the ghost keeper lady, Georgie, she makes Jenny some tea. And she says, your boyfriend sure gets riled up. And Jenny says, it's just his way. So it's like, this is just who my 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 boyfriend is. And we do find out later there is a little bit of a backstory for him. He grew up with a father who was just always mellow. Nothing ever got him upset. And he says, I kind of wish something had. And so that's kind of why he's got this bravado, is because he's kind of making up for the lack that he saw in his father. Yeah. So Jenny wandering around the hotel starts to feel weird. And she realizes that, oh my God, I've been drugged. And she falls unconscious. She wakes up and she's in the basement. And this is where she reads, she finds a book on the Wendigo and she reads up on it, how an old woman takes care of the Wendigo and the power is passed on to her from somebody else. To somebody else. Well, she got it from somebody else and passed on to somebody else. Yeah, that's how that goes. The flesh-eating giant could be kept by certain people, mostly females, who had an ancient power handed from one to another. It's also where she finds the freezer with the Wendigo inside. And the mutilated bodies. Yes. But this is where Danny shows up with a chainsaw and starts chasing her around. She's running away. She gets into the attic. She get, escapes the out the window. This is dumbest way to kill somebody. <laughs> she escapes out the window. No, she hits the son with a door, which flings him out the window, which causes him to die. He Literally. Lands. She hits him with a door, and he falls to his death. I don't remember that. That's the way it happened. But okay. Anyway, he does fall out the window kind of ridiculously, and he lands on... Uh, like a wrought iron fence, you know, with the little points, and it impales him. And he is dead now. <laughs> she runs outside to find Marty, like, Marty, what the fuck is going on? And Marty himself is kind of going nuts, too. Yeah, and I love, I kind of love that they don't bother to explain that. No, he's an asshole, and his assholishness, his preoccupation with not being like his father, and the general atmosphere... Of this lodge. Being isolated. And being isolated, yeah, is making him kind of go crazy. The storekeeper we met at the beginning of the movie, he's just walking around with the snowshoes. 
and he gets killed by the old woman. A la The Shining. Yes, kind of out of nowhere. But also, we should say that one of the things that Marty is talking about when he goes crazy is, (laughs) you killed that man. That was wrong. I need to go get help. Like, (laughs) she's like, what? He tried to kill me. Forget that. It's over. Yes. And yeah, he's just, he's crazy. He's running around the snow wearing like nothing for snow. This is the part of the movie where it all kind of begins to fall apart because like I said, they had no money. They didn't, they had different people on different days and they couldn't shoot the stuff that they wanted to shoot. They couldn't do the Wendigo stuff. So this is what Jim Makachuk says. He says, so at that point in our shooting schedule, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd ask, okay, so who do we have today? And they tell me it was Murray or Reva or Georgie. And I'd think, well, the thing we can do is this <sighs> or maybe this. I'd formulate an idea and that's the idea that shows up in the movie. However, it's not the ending that I wanted. The ending I had wanted was a whole lot bigger. I had a choice of shutting down or going on. There was no way I was going to shut down the production. It had to be finished. (laughs) He says that there was a big chase across the rooftops, like when she goes out of the window on top of the roof or whatever. There was going to be this whole big old long chase scene, and Jenny was eventually going to escape. That was going to be how the movie was going to end after this big action scene. Or whatever, and they couldn't do it because they just didn't have the money. They couldn't get the Wendigo uh, to look properly, and so now this is what we have: this kind of madness, which has its own charm. I gotta say, except that it feels like a retelling it, of The Shining, and, and the it Bird feels offerings. so random, and it it and it very much is. So she goes back inside. She the Danny's body is gone. It's in the foyer of the hotel. She finds a shotgun, and this is where she runs into the old woman. And the old woman talks to her and says, you can't kill me. I'm your mom. Yeah. (laughs) And it's time. You'll understand. Like, I need to give you my power. Yeah. Yeah, I'm your mother, even though I'm not. you can't do this. You can't kill me or whatever. And goes to attack her, and Jenny shoots her with a shotgun. Yeah, which again, if why would she attack her if she wanted her to take over the responsibilities? Maybe this is part, maybe you need to kill somebody maliciously. Like, you know, she killed Danny in self-defense. And you could argue that this is self-defense, but like, you know, this violent personal kill that is what happens with the ghost keeper. And so Jenny kills her. I'm your mother. Look at me. I'm your mother. No! Come to me, Jenny. My mother's dead. No, Jenny. I'm not dead. Come to mother. Come. I'm right here. And she's obviously shaken up. Everyone's gone crazy at this point. So it's no surprise that Jenny's kind of out of it, out of sorts. And she just kind of wanders around. She finds the Wendigo in the freezer. And she says, don't worry. I'll look after you now. It's all right. Jenny will look after you now. It's all right. 
Jenny will look after you now. She goes outside. She finds Marty dead. He's froze to death. He's frozen to death, a la Shining. You should have listened to Jenny. You should have been nicer to Jenny. I have to go now, but don't worry. I'll be back for you. It'll be like it always was. And it's like the the idea that this is a continuous cycle that goes on and on. She goes back inside. She sits in a chair and just kind of sits and stares. And then we hear this voice in her head. It's the ghost keeper talking to her in her head. And a lot of this are the lines that she overheard the ghost keeper saying to who we presume is Danny, but we didn't see. And it's not every line. It's just the lines that could be reinterpreted as talking to Jenny, plus a few extra ones. And I think that's kind of a cool, creepy little thing. It's over, isn't it? You done good. You'll be fine. I'll look after you. You know I will. You'll see Jenny. It'll be like it always was. You'll see. That's it. That's the end of the movie. That's how it ends. Do you have anything for lightning round? I don't think so. I think I covered pretty much everything I wanted to get. It felt a little bit like Jenny going crazy at the end was a little bit dragged out. She kind of wanders around the hotel for a while. Um, After she's decided to watch after the Wendigo and everyone's dead, I'm like, what's left? Why are we still watching this movie? And it's just her kind of wandering around. And then she sits down and then we get the voiceover and then it ends. I feel like, I mean, I guess it's still going for that atmospheric thing. But yeah, that's kind of all I have to say about the movie. I, I, I'm sorry, Bear. I I think it has a lot of charm. No, it's fine. I'm happy that you liked it. I love when I find movies that we've never heard of that you liked. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 70. Try 23. Oh, shit. Audience score. Oh. 23%, which is calculated differently than the actual critical score. There is no critical score on this movie. No Metacritic, no cinema score. It is a very underwatched movie. I think, especially for what it is, I think it's way underrated, even though this is an audience score. I liked it a lot better than I guess most people do. What would you give it? I'd probably give it a 55. I I thought a 70. I would probably give it a 75 or higher, high 70s maybe. But it does kind of unravel towards the end. I think there's some great stuff we get out of that, which adds to the atmospheric horror, which, like you say, it very much is in the beginning. So there's obviously a core vision that goes throughout the movie. But at the end, that's all they had is the is the vision and the story and structure just all fall to pieces. And so it loses points for that. But I think there's a lot of potential here. I yeah, And I don't think it went anywhere yeah and and that's why i wouldn't rate it higher but i i still think that given the right resources jim makachuk could probably make a really good movie but he obviously did not have those resources it was made for you know a couple thousand dollars (laughs) and uh and then that money all dried up so 
right off the bat, our first movie of the year, that's a pretty big difference between you and I, 15 points, and a pretty big critical difference of 39 and a half points. Very. Yeah, so this will probably end up on one of our top 10 lists at the end of the year. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, if you haven't heard that yet, we do that in our last episode of the year, which was last week. All right, Kelsey, before we move on to our next movie, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition, give me what you got. What root does Minnie Castavet claim causes the odor of the pendant she gives Rosemary in 1968's Rosemary's Baby? (sighs) Does he know what it's called? I would. I know. They say it a lot. It's a plot point. It is a very big plot point. About how it's... (laughs) That's that's not what it's used for at all. And <laughs> I don't think it's a root that really exists. It isn't. Yeah, we looked that up. I can't think of the name. Tannis root. Tannis root. Yep, Tannis root. It's totally made up for this movie. Thank you. I like that. That's a good question. In the climactic pool scene, the titular entity of It Follows 2014 uses what form to attack Jay? Her dad, but... You that is correct. You wouldn't know that unless, like, you. That's the point. Picked the fucking movie. That's apart. the point. Well, I mean, you do see the picture of the dad for later. about two seconds. You see it twice in the movie, once before and once after, and so you can put those two things together. That, along with the fact that the guy that passes it on to her says, "I think it it disguises itself as people you know just to hurt you," and because it can, and we know she has some sort of weird relationship with her dad is he gone is he dead we don't know i think they say he's dead but i don't remember so but it's obviously designed to hurt her especially in that climactic moment it just makes a lot of sense for it to be her dad and so i i think you have to be paying attention but i don't think you have to tear it apart because they don't you're right they don't outright say that it's her dad but i think it's a good question though and i'm proud of you for getting it correct All right, Kelsey, moving on to 2008's The Children. Another movie with lots of potential. (laughs) Written by Paul Andrew Williams and Tom Shankland, directed by Tom Shankland, starring Eva Berthesel, Stephen Campbell Moore, and Jeremy Sheffield. What is The Children about? Two families go up to the snow for New Year's. Ha! Same exact idea. Yep. It's explicitly post-Christmas, but every <laughs> single synopsis you see of this movie online talks about how it's a Christmas trip with the family. And it's like, no, it's not. It's it's explicitly after Christmas. <laughs> anyway. And it's in England. This is an English movie. It's a British movie. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. And they are all up there for New Year's Eve. And one of the kids gets sick. And that sickness spreads to the other children, and it's not a good sickness to have. Yes. Like Ghost Keeper, where I thought, at least, it was made by filmmakers who had a lot of potential. Lots of potential. They just did not have the resources to get done what they needed to get done. Just like that, this is a movie I think you should watch. Do you yeah, agree? Yeah, I agree. I think you should watch this one. It's another one that has a lot of charm and really great, like actually great filmmaking here. But the resource that they're lacking is the script. 
the story and the script are all over the place. I I think Tom Shanklin could make a very good movie if he wasn't making his own scripts. <laughs> Pay a professional to write a script and make that instead. <laughs> like that's my takeaway from this movie. This is this is a week designed because we wanted New Year's movies. The real theme turns out to be directors with awesome potential that didn't have the appropriate resources to make a spectacular movie. <laughs> that's the real theme of this week. So I think you should see it. Yeah. I ended up having to rent it because it's only available for free on Tubi TV. So <laughs> <laughs> I rented it on Amazon Prime. But uh, yeah, you can get this in a lot of places, but you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, it I, it surprised me. I thought it was going to be bad. Yeah. And it really, really surprised me. There are a lot of good things. Unfortunately, again, towards the end, it starts to kind of fall apart. Yeah, yeah. All right, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2008's The Children. You brought them into this world. They attacked me. Why do I think they're sick? Now. Oh my God, I love you guys so much. They will take you out. The children. Where's mommy? <laughs> Kelsey, what happens in the children? We open on a family coming up to the mountains for uh, their New Year's Eve celebration. It's the night before New Year's, so it's New Year's Eve Eve. Mm-hmm. When they get there, we get to see. Okay, so there is a family that's already there. It's a mom and a dad and a boy and a girl. Okay, this is important because the movie does a terrible job of establishing who's related to whom. You kind of see people coming out of the car and you can kind of get the picture there, but there's people running to the car and then back away from the car and then everyone's hugging everybody. It's really, really difficult aside from the adults to tell, like, who is part of what family. And even with the adults, it's hard to tell in what way they're related. Because sometimes it seems like the two guys are related. Sometimes it seems like the two girls are related. So th that's what it is. I think it's the ladies, yes, right? They're it sisters. Is. It is. But then there's one point where the uncle is like, well, if you don't consider him your dad, then I'm definitely not your uncle. And I'm like, wait, so are you related to him? And that's why you're her uncle? Like, it was very, very confusing. It does stuff like that throughout the movie. So let's just break down... Who is who right now? Okay. The main star of this movie, it turns out, is Ava Berthistle playing Elaine. She's the blonde. Uh, she is married to Jonah, played by Stephen Campbell Moore. He's the nerdy looking one. They have two children together. Polly William Howes, who is autistic, and Miranda Eva Sayer, who is the blonde girl. Elaine has an older daughter from somebody else named Casey, played by Hannah Toynton. Wait, hold on a second. Uh-huh. They never told us that kid was autistic. That's, well, I'll get into that, because they write him like he is. They do, but at the same time, we also know that he gets sick right off the bat. 
Yeah, but they they write him like he's autistic. Do you know that? Like, does it say that he's autistic? Because they never once say that. I'm not saying it's good. Okay. Or effective. (laughs) I think it's absolutely pointless, actually. And I'll get to that. Then the other family, the family who lives there, is Chloe, played by Rachel Shelley. She is Elaine's sister. Her husband is Robbie, played by Jeremy Sheffield. They have two kids, Leah and Nikki, played by Raffaella Brooks and Jake Hathaway. This is the entire cast. Yes. This is everyone you will see, although you do hear another character over the phone, and you hear some people on the radio, and that kind of stuff. But these are the only characters that you actually see throughout the entire movie. Until the very end. True. (laughs) True. So it really seemed to me, and I wrote down, are they? Like, my first note is, Jesus, did they write an autistic kid? Let's see where this goes, I guess. And where does it go? It goes to where he can behave irrationally, and he's really withdrawn, and nobody bats an eye. They expect it. Kind of. There are times, though, when they're like, why aren't you playing? Go out and play. And the kids even say he's acting weird. Yeah. So, I mean, and they do nothing with it, but the way he's just – so they have Miranda, his sister, the blonde, who's just constantly staring and evil. No, she's not evil that we figure this out later because I understand why you'd say that. No, no, I'm I'm not saying she is evil. She's looking evil. Right. Yes. She looks evil, but she is actually the least of all of them. Before (laughs) before anything happens, she is just constantly staring and judging like she's the sinister villain in all of this for a good portion of the beginning of this movie and her brother is just staring and looking upset and worried for a good portion of the beginning of this movie and that is virtually the only hint that anything bad is going on is just this and sometimes they look at each other and Miranda looks at Polly like she's evil and judging and sinister and Polly looks at Miranda like he's worried and concerned and upset like and it should be the opposite but i mean they're children they're they're children you can't in a movie that's centered around the fact that they're children you can't just write off bad decisions as well they're children well, they're bad actors i did i didn't think miranda was a bad actor i thought she did a great job i thought she was a really good actress Until you find out that she's – the reason she's looking at them all that way is because she knows something weird is going on. But it's not projected that way to the audience. And that's a problem. Exactly. And I'm saying it's because she's a child actor. I think they could have gotten something else out of her. I think they told her to look that way and that's what she did Mm -hmm. because she was told to behave that way. Now, it's just an assumption on my part. The way she behaves and acts throughout this movie shows me that she has talent and awareness. And I don't believe that that would lead to this performance. Okay. I feel like there's some sort of outside influence on it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But so this is this is the relationship of of everyone and it's our key players. And Robbie and Chloe, the the people who own the house, are rich. They're elitist. They're the ones that are like, have you tried the 
vegan yeah. diet. Like, you know, like they're those they're, types. They're the people that you show up and you're just like, oh, they're going to tell me how to be a perfect person. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, we've decided to homeschool our children. And, a- it's like, and meanwhile, our main couple are like, really? You're going to stress. You are like, absolutely unqualified to homeschool your, your children. But. I mean, if that's what they're, you want to do. They're the idiot, hippie, rich people that you you know people like this. I, I think <laughs> you can classify them as yuppies. Not like 80s yuppies. Right. No, not coke snorting all about money. Privileged in a way that they refuse to recognize. The reason they can behave and make the decisions that they do is because they have the money to do so. And yet they judge everyone else for not doing what they're doing and not behaving the way they do. So right outside, Polly throws up. and As the mom, soon as they get there. Right. The mom writes it off as, oh, well, he was behaving kind of funny in the car. I thought he was getting car sick. He must have. He threw up. Later on, Chloe's like, oh, my God, you brought your sick child here. And Elaine's like, they're kids. Fucking deal with it. Mom, you have two kids. What are you talking about? You're worried about them getting sick. It happens sometimes. Also, I told you I thought he was car sick, not contagious sick. Yeah. And it happened on the not until we got here. Like, so what did you want me to do? Oh, he threw up. Turn around. We're all going home. I'm so sorry. Maybe she's ill. I thought Paulie was a bit car sick last night, but maybe he's picked up a bug. Right. You bring them here when they're sick. You know how susceptible Leah is. They're just kids, Chloe. I mean, things go around. It's just, just the way it is. Yeah, Chloe is insufferable. She's insufferable. She's awful. And she... Robbie is an awful pervert. That's the other thing that happens throughout this movie. And it goes nowhere. It goes fucking nowhere. <laughs> Miranda looks sinister. Polly looks confused and mute, and <laughs> Robbie is a pervert uncle who wants to have sex with his niece. But because she's not... She is his niece. Yes, not by blood, but that right, doesn't matter. Right, not by blood. I know, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, like you said, it's confusing because there are times when it seems like he's supposed to be related to her stepfather, and if she, if he was her father, then it would make more sense. right. But it it doesn't matter. He just hits on her the whole time, and she's totally aware of it. Uh-huh. She kind she of plays into she it. She kind of uses it for her advantage, but she yeah. also doesn't want him to do anything to her. Yes. So fuck it. Uh, okay. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate this movie. I, it may sound like it. I'm. I just. It's very frustrating. Kind of like the Ghost Keeper was to me. That there's a lot of potential here, and so I feel like I need to point out the flaws that I noticed because. These are the things that this director should avoid in the future. Really, it's well, it's the director's fault, but it's also the writer's fault because. Hey, guess what? They're the same person. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Again, hire a professional to write your scripts because you're a good director. This movie looks great. I love the pacing. I love the long, drawn out, and gorge. Some some shots are absolutely gorgeous, and. It's just what he's filming. The 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 moment to moment actions are just not effective to me. I, I really think, yeah, the script needed to be edited quite a bit, needed to be cleaned up a lot. Somebody needed to go in there and be like, you need to make these relationships far more clear. And if you're gonna make choices like having a pervert uncle, 
you need to have that be there for a reason because this isn't real life. Mm -hmm. If this was real life, you can have weirdos in real life and that goes nowhere because that's life. But in a movie, in a story of any kind, you make those choices for a reason. You don't just put them in there for no good reason. Right. And maybe it's a misdirect or maybe something like that. But number one, this stuff is too inciting, not insightful, but inciting to just be dropped with no comment. And number two, if you want to misdirect your audience, it should be put to some purpose. And it's not. No. Like, it, uh, anyway. So they're encouraging all the kids to play together. And the boy is not doing well. <laughs> he is calling out for his mommy all the time. He hits other people. Yeah, and he's he's staring at a xylophone and repeatedly playing the same off-key notes over and over again. This is why I'm saying they wrote him as autistic and to no end. And everybody kind of notices that he's not doing well, but the mom and I think everybody just kind of puts it as he's just sick. Yeah. Casey wants to leave, so she makes plans with one of her friends. Yeah. Remember, she... the, the uncle's like, here, let me take you out and show you where there's cell service. And they go out to a secluded area alone. Nothing fucking comes of it. And she, she contacts her friend and is like, hey, come pick me up tomorrow at 2. I'll meet you on the road, and we'll get out of here, and we'll go to the party that my mom said she didn't want me going to. And throughout all of this, they're looking for this cat named Jinxie. Jinxie, yep. And that goes absolutely nowhere. Except for one thing that we never see it used for. <laughs> okay. But at this one is a constant. Jinxie, Jinxie, yes. Jinxie. At one point, one character is trying to lock down the house against invaders, and they forget the fact that the cat door is open. Oh. But we never see it used that way. It's just all of a sudden the invaders appear inside the house. And there's no, That's we don't right. see I them crawling through the cat door or nothing. We don't? Not that I remember. I just remember seeing them at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. And that's but all of a sudden we see They them. showed us the cat door they did. leading us to believe that they that's, yes. that's why they talk about this. Okay. But they do waste a lot of time talking about this cat and how <laughs> people are going to try find it and all and of this. Here's another bizarre plot point that goes nowhere. So Casey's stepfather, the father of the little girl and the little boy, is all into Chinese medicine and like learning Chinese, and he's trying. It's to an awkward trying to sell your rich family member something, yeah. On it, but again, why is that in here? It's. I think it's designed to alienate Jonah and make him feel like he's being disrespected, which causes him to lose his mind, especially when his wife's daughter is oh, being that, disrespectful to him. That makes sense when you break it down that way. So, yeah, she <laughs> he tries to sell them on it and his wife totally interrupts him. And that is brought up later. He's like, hey, why did you stop me from talking about China? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and she just kind of has this look on her face like, oh, Jesus Christ. He keeps calling it TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that does make sense. There's a reason that he doesn't really trust his wife at this point and you know what going back to jinxie they have a tent outside in the snow and there's a lot of things hanging off the ceiling of this tent and one of those things is jinxie's, jinxie's collar but again it do, like at what point did this happen and who <laughs> did it was anybody super malicious or violent at this point 
I think maybe the, there was a plot point where the kid killed the cat first. I think Leah might but have killed the cat. They never showed us. Yeah. They never said it. No. They just showed us a bloody cat collar. Hanging up in the tent. So it's probably one of the kids. But it's been so long at this point since we've heard anything about the cat. We just figure they found the collar but not the cat. That's what I figured at first. So they're all playing out in the snow and the little boy... Now, here's the thing. No one sees him do it. It could easily be a fucking accident. Yeah. We, the audience, know that he did it on purpose because he's sick and going crazy. But so he, what he ends up doing is he pushes a sled at, like, his dad. No, it goes down the hill and it hits Chloe, who's come out with all the tea. Oh, and it spills all over his dad. dad. And he runs up there and he starts spanking the kid. Yeah, and Robbie's like, we don't hit children here. <laughs> we don't hit kids here, Jonah. I don't know. It just played out this really weird, awkward, like it was going to be the hit. What was that TV show? The Smack? The um, it, It's a whole TV show. Like a, a two-night event or whatever on ABC revolving around this family get-together and one of the adults smacks one of the children. And it was the whole fucking show about the turmoil that this caused. Oh, Jesus. I know. It, everyone kind of collectively rolled their eyes at this thing. <laughs> it was Spock, I think, is the one who did it. <laughs> and I think I think it was actually an adaptation of a British show. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not certain about that. Here's the thing. No one saw it happen. It could have very easily just, just been, been an, an accident. accident. Totally. Like I said, totally. we know it's not. But what we're what we're shown is that Jonah is getting very, very angry that he keeps getting dismissed and that he keeps getting, I mean, I would say cock blocked, but I guess China blocked. <laughs> and 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 he gets aggressive when this happens. I guess that's a good point. Yeah, because he's an aggressive dude. He really is. For somebody who has like he, he's married up. Like, Elaine doesn't have a perfect life or anything, but if we're just talking about looks, <laughs> like, and what appears to be intelligence. <laughs> he speaks Chinese, though, that, or Mandarin. That's kind of cool. <laughs> and he's teaching Miranda Mandarin, which is also kind of cool. <laughs> and she's totally into it, and she absolutely loves him. Yes. And I think that, that they do a good job with their relationship. Yes. So it goes kind of nuts when at dinner, Miranda fucking loses it. Well, here's the thing. Before they're going to have dinner, it's basically like a nap time thing. Yeah. And Miranda, the blonde girl... Is telling her aunt. Now, this was where I got super confused. I had been under the understanding that the other chick, the blonde mother, uh -huh. was in fact Miranda's mother. And that ends up being true. But then there's this part where her aunt takes her aside and is telling her, like, you'll be a good little girl and you'll watch over the little ones, right? Right. Now, see, it. I think the objective of this was to make it obvious that Chloe is very... She inserts herself in everything and thinks she is, has the right answer for everything and will take it so far as to be the parent to another child when that's not her place. But what it really does, the effect it has, is it just confuses the audience as to who the parent actually is because nobody says it outright. And the only clue you got was Miranda came out of the car, mm -hmm. if you remember that. <laughs> yes. And again, I guess – Jonah is teaching her Mandarin. But nobody says 
Miranda is Elaine's daughter. Yeah, I mean, she should specifically be calling the dark-haired lady Aunt Chloe. You yeah. should be saying that so that the audience knows who they are. Yep. For next time, Tom uh, Shanklin. She says, they're, they're acting funny. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. But yeah. like we said, Aunt Chloe is like, be a good little girl and stay with these kids. So she does. And it's because she stays there with them that she gets sick too. Yeah. And later on, we see Robbie is smoking pot in the greenhouse and Casey walks in on him and she takes them too and she tries to act all adult and tough. Uh, I think that I think the idea here is that she's never actually smoked but she, marijuana. She pretends like she, she pretends did. Yeah, that's she did. my point. And she sits down and um, he's like talking to her and he's being very like, you're just testing boundaries. So am I. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and that's when she goes to pull her skirt down like Jesus, my yeah. uncle. And he sees that she has a tattoo. So he asks to see it. So she has to pull up her shirt and she shows a fetus, a fetus on her stomach. And she says, and I have no, and this is another problem. I have no idea if this is real or not. I think it is. She says, I'm the abortion that got away. So, like, her mom tried to have an abortion. Or wanted to. Wanted to, maybe. But that's the other thing. Like, how did you find that out? Did your mother tell you? Right. There's no conversation about that. We just have to assume that Casey acts out the way she does because Elaine was so young when she had her and wasn't an effective mother to her. Yes. Like, these are all assumptions that you have to make because the movie doesn't go very far to tell you that. As a matter of fact, Casey and Elaine seem to have the biggest bond of any parent-child in this movie. Exactly. So we don't get an indication that they have a bad relationship. Except for at the beginning. Where but she that's says... Just, that's just a teenager wanting right. to go out with her friends on New Year's. That's not surprising at all. And the parent being like, listen, we're doing a family thing. Just suck it up and do the family thing. That doesn't mean they have a bad relationship. Exactly. That's not an indicator that they have a bad relationship. That's a, that's a typical yes. parent-child relationship at the teenage stage. This gets mentioned at the dinner table when Chloe sees it. Chloe walks in on the two of them, and she's, like, very suspicious. Robbie, what the fuck are you doing? Well, that's, She doesn't say that, but she assumes it. That's the other frustrating it. thing. Uh, see, they've got all these little threads, uh-huh. which I think could potentially be good ones, but they don't go anywhere. So, like, she walks in, and she knows exactly what's happening. Anyone can see this relationship and see what's happening here. But she gets a little bit wrong. She gets mad at Casey. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. She puts all of her anger onto her niece, which is the exact wrong thing to do. I think because she's angry, because Chloe obviously has a control problem. And she's angry because she's she's losing control of her husband, the thing that she wants to keep. And in order for that to be a big enough deal to get upset over, she can't be angry at him <laughs> because the idea is, is that she loves and wants to keep him. And if he's a bad person, that harms that image. And so instead, she needs to be mad at the other, the woman, the opposition. And that is Casey in this case. And it's just a reflection that Chloe has a control problem and doesn't know how to deal with that and has emotional reactions that maybe aren't the most logical reactions to have. And that factors into the way she behaves later in the movie. In other words, Chloe's a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she is. So if you ever blame a teenager for having sex with an adult, you're wrong. Right. <laughs> because here's the thing. The other person is, in fact, 
an adult. And should be able to make that decision. <laughs> right. And especially in our society, has the responsibility to look out for people who are not of age. Exactly. It is always the adult's fault, unless it's like a rape scenario, which it certainly is not here. <laughs> no, it's not. So, anyway, at dinner, Chloe sees the tattoo and doesn't have any problem calling it out, probably because she wants to undermine Casey. Yes. And, and... Casey has to show this to her mom. Chloe's like, wow, I'm surprised you let her get a tattoo when mom was so upset when you got yours or whatever. Or when mom wouldn't let you get one or or so- something like that. I don't know. And this is where it's brought up again that she was the abortion that got away and everyone's upset. Meanwhile, yes. Miranda is saying, I feel sick. Yeah. That's not good. That's not a good sign. And she... And all the kids start to go a little crazy at this dinner. <laughs> well, so Jonah tries to tries to calm Miranda down, and he is so doting on Miranda, it's not even funny. And and see, that's the thing. I don't think they establish very well that he doesn't care about Casey because Casey isn't his, because he's mean to Polly. And he's constantly in conflict with Polly too. So, like, I don't – it it doesn't make it, it – there's so many things that are misguided about how they characterize. They focus so much on characterization, but the things they do to get that characterization just don't make very much sense. And that's a big shortcoming in the plot of this movie. But anyway, she's – It's also – I mean, I know I said this already with Miranda. It's also very unclear when the kids get sick. Yeah, and how. But we do know that there is something growing in their vomit. So when they throw up, it zooms in on the vomit and we can see like microbes multiplying and stuff like that. And it's really weird. But who bites the dad? Miranda scratches Chloe. Oh, okay. And Jonah tries to tries to take her upstairs and she's screaming and flailing and she's not shutting up. And this takes Jonah and Miranda out of the equation. Nothing really happens with this, except eventually Miranda does calm down, but she's having this weird, unexplained, violent outburst. After she vomits is when she calms yes. down. Yes. Yeah, totally. But Miranda and Jonah are out of the equation. So Robbie is like, this shit's out of control. We're getting the kids out of here. Uh, let's I'm go play take, in the snow. Let's go play in the snow. They're like, we want to build a, uh, an igloo, or he offers to build an igloo or something like that. And they're like, no, we want to play in the snow. So they go out there. And... Polly goes off. Casey is told by Elaine to go help watch the kids or whatever. And she takes this as an opportunity to get away. And I guess they were having lunch. They must have because it's it's approaching two o'clock and she's going to go meet her friend at the street. So Polly is off and he's not being watched because Robbie is with Leah and Nikki, his own kids, and he's trying to keep them calm. And he goes down the, the hill on the sled face first. But while he's doing this, Polly comes out with, or maybe it's even Nikki. I don't even know. I can't even keep track this, of which one it was. Well, this is when things start to get very unclear. Uh, I think the director probably didn't have a lot of money to do kill kill shots. No, it's a low-budget movie, and so they try to suggest more than they actually yes. show. and unfortunately, through those suggestions, it gets really muddled who's doing what. Right. But – some one of these kids, Polly or Nikki, I don't remember which one, brings out like a red wagon with all this stuff on it, including a garden trowel. Not a trowel, it's like one of the claws. 
and leaves it right in the path of the yes. sled. And so the which dad again hits it. could be an accident. Totally. But we know it isn't. This is and this is when I turned to Chris and I was like, this is bloody birthday all over again. Yeah. It is totally bloody birthday. The kids are killing these people off and pretending like they're accidents. Right. Right. No, yeah, we could have coupled this with bloody birthday if they were not seasonally related. Mm-hmm. So Anyway, this is where shit goes down because the kids scream bloody murder. Casey comes back. And so keep in mind, nobody knows she left. Chloe comes out and she sees her husband and he's dying. And eventually he does actually die. This is where everything comes to a screeching halt to deal with the tragic death of an actual person. The cat went missing. We don't know what happened. Kids are acting violent. That's weird. And this movie is just slowly building up this momentum and it finally gets to a good pace. And then because it has to deal with the reality of how humans would behave if one person died inexplicably and violently, everything comes to a screeching halt. This is why I'm saying it has potential in the direction, but the plot ruins it. (laughs) Yeah, they have to deal with the fact that this, okay, what do we do? Do we call an ambulance? Okay, Jonah calls an ambulance, but he, uh, Robbie eventually dies, but the police are coming too, but the ambulance isn't going to get here for a long while because the roads are blocked with snow and they're dealing with the realities of somebody died on accident. Elaine eventually confronts Casey and is like, what happened? Weren't you watching the kids? Because Casey says, I didn't see it. Now... (laughs) This made Chris so mad. (laughs) So mad. You don't even need to know what's going on. Something happens. You're supposed to be watching somebody and you say, I didn't see it. Why wouldn't the other person, number one, just assume you were looking in the other direction or you weren't watching close enough? Or you're on your phone or some shit. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Number two, if you were that person, why would you then say... I had actually left the whole area because I was going to leave this entire place and do the one thing you told me not to do. (laughs) And it's not like Casey's trying to piss Elaine off. She's really sorry about it. But I didn't get the impression that she felt so guilty that she had to relieve herself of that guilt. So, like, it's like, Casey, shut the fuck up. Like, just say you didn't see it. Why? Where were you? I was right there. I wasn't looking. He was just sliding down the hill. Big fucking deal. Like, (laughs) I I wasn't staring at every person at every time. I looked away and I didn't see it. And nobody would have anything to say about that. In real life. But in this movie, accidents do not happen. (laughs) Yes. Everything is on purpose. Which is hilarious because as an audience member, it's so frustrating because I'm sitting here thinking... If that had happened to me in real life, I would assume it was an accident. Yeah. Tell me what happened, darling. I don't know. You were there. I think he was on the sledge. He must have. He must have seen. I didn't. I didn't see it, okay? But you're helping Robbie with the kids. I wasn't there. I was going up the road to be Lisa. She was picking me up so we could go to the party. The reason that they're out there is because they're looking for Chloe's kids. Chloe is freaking out, obviously, because her husband's dying and she needs her babies. And Elaine's like, do not worry about it. You stay right here. We'll go look for your kids. 
Jonah takes Polly to the kitchen and Polly slashes him with a knife. And so now he's bleeding and now Jonah's run off. And it's just this. This is where it just goes because everything previously stopped. <laughs> now everything explodes. <laughs> and it goes absolutely insane. And Chloe goes fucking crazy. And this is where Elaine and Casey have their little conversation. Elaine finds Polly on like a jungle gym thing. And this was very confusing. Yes. He kept being, I'm scared, mommy. I'm scared. And so his mom is climbing up to get him and he keeps backing away. They show him push back on the steps several times, but every external shot where we see it from a little bit further away, he's in the same place. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense continuity wise. And the mom's trying to climb up in her heels on icy metal bars why? It's, he's not even that high. You can literally just reach up and grab yeah, him off. Yeah, that's what was confusing me this whole time. I was like, wait, you could just pick him up. And so she slips and breaks her leg. I and thought I, he pushed her. I thought he kicked her. Well, she tries to reach for him and he like, he, he's, he's pushing his feet out. You're right. And she falls and she breaks her leg. It's a compound fracture. The bone is sticking out of the leg. This matters and doesn't matter on and off throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> Elaine had previously found that Robbie's body went missing. The blood tracks. It's like somebody put him on the sled and sled him, dragged him over to the tent. And so she's like, uh, uh, uh. And that's when she heard like Polly screaming or whatever. And so she went to go investigate her own kid. Chloe finds this as well. And goes into the tent. And goes into the tent and finds her husband. And she's freaking out and peels back the blanket on him. And because Leah had been playing with this little mommy dolly yeah. this entire time, this we know she's time, obsessed with it. She's obsessed with this baby doll that when you squeeze it, it says mommy. And she would put it up under her shirt and then take it out. Yes. Because that's how she understands how babies come out. Yes. So <laughs> we find Robbie... The thing comes off, his stomach has been cut open with his guts exposed and the baby shoved in there. No sooner is this revealed than Robbie wakes up for some fucking reason yeah, and grabs onto Chloe and then the tent gets attacked by that same claw that killed Robbie, keeps slashing through the tent and Chloe's freaking out. She doesn't know what's going on, but then Robbie, the fact that he's alive, just ends he's dead anyway. So that was totally pointless. And then Casey basically saves her. And Chloe blames Casey, saying Casey attacked her. Yes. And it doesn't explain why Robbie is in the tent, why his gut's been, take, been cut open, why a baby's been shoved in there. We know the explanation for this, but Chloe refuses to see it because she is going insane. And that all, I will accept that. I will yeah. accept that this mother... Could not accept the fact that her daughter did this. I will believe you, movie. <laughs> yes. So Elaine is trying to get away from Polly. Meanwhile, and they're in the greenhouse and Casey shows up and she's trying to protect her. Polly is going to attack Casey. Yes. And so instead, Elaine grabs onto his hood and pulls him back away to prevent him from killing Casey. And he falls backwards onto this exposed glass, killing him. dies. Jonah shows up, and he's freaking out because his child died. And his wife has got a broken leg. Yeah. 
And so Chloe, when when Casey comes in, oh my God. So everyone goes back inside because this all this shit's going on and it's so crazy. When Casey comes back in for no fucking reason, again, she opens her big mouth <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, this was absurd. Why would says, you say this? She had effectively, she had to kill Polly. She had no choice. And everyone's like, we hadn't even considered this was anything but an accident until you said that. <laughs> and I everyone mean, it still is an accident. And she but, didn't mean to kill right. her son. <laughs> and nobody accepts that for fact. Nobody asks what was happening. Nobody asks why. They just all Jonah and Chloe. Both turn on Elaine. Well, Clo- yeah. Well, Jonah is just upset, and we already know it's that like, he what? reacts. Yeah, he reacts all crazy to things. It's Chloe who turns to him and says, "Can't you see? It's Casey. You need to take control." Yeah. Also, she says to Elaine, "You're a monster." Well, I had to get above. She had no choice. You're monsters. How could you? You never were much of a mother lady, but not even mum would. God, you killed your baby. Chloe is just awful. She's awful. She's this awful. entire fucking. She's insufferable when she's when she hasn't gone off the deep end, and she's even worse when she does. Yep. As understandable as it is, it's even worse. Yeah. It's ugh, God. Jonah and Chloe leave to go and find the kids. Meanwhile, Miranda is still upstairs, but at this point, I think Casey and her mom have basically either forgotten that she's there or simply don't realize that she's also sick. Yeah. One of the two. And so, yeah, Casey starts barricading up the house because clearly some shit is going down. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jonah and Chloe are out in the woods looking for her kids who are still missing at this point. They get separated for some reason, and Chloe finds her kids, and she's all thankful and everything, and then one starts tugging on her earring, and she's like, ow, stop it, and they're pulling her hair, and they yank her head back and stab her in the eye with, like, a color pencil or something like that, mm-hmm. killing her, and they do, we find out later, yank out her hoop earring. Yes, yeah, and, like, all these kills and all these shots the angles are all over the place, and that's simply to hide the fact that they didn't have the money to make yeah. these shots look real. And the problem with that is that it gets, like I said, really muddled as to what is even happening. Right, right. I don't have a problem with that in concept. And I think – this is why I'm saying – because what's happening is so unclear. If you're having a hard time keeping track of the plot as we go along, it's not us. <laughs> it's the movie. And because that's what that's the context in which they're trying to hide the fact that they can't show the violence because they can't like afford it because it's low budget. It means what would otherwise be effective suggestion just makes the thing more muddled. Mm -hmm. So after the kids kill her, Jonah comes back inside to grab Miranda and he like throws his wife and like hits her and shit. And he says, you deserve it. Okay, so what happened before this is he comes inside and Casey had found Miranda. And Miranda was apparently, like, beating a, the Trixie. Jinxie? Jinxie. Oh. And they get in this confrontation where they're fighting now. And Jonah shows up 
And Miranda's like, Casey oh, attacked right. me. Yes, because it looks like she's killing yeah. her sister, which is not what's happening. No. But that's what it looks like. And so Jonah. Like shoves her and she hits her head. And he's like, I need to get Miranda out of here. He even And she says, like, Casey says, dad. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's so unearned. It's yeah. so unearned. And it's not like, like, the only reason somebody like Casey would do that because she does not consider him to be her dad. Mm-hmm. And at no point has she ever thought this throughout the entire movie is if she was trying to manipulate him. Right. And this is not an effective manipulation whatsoever. <laughs> and she looks earnest. So yeah. it's, it's just a moment that is so unearned. <laughs> So Jonah's like, I'm fucking out of here. He locks Casey in the bedroom from the outside. This is when Elaine's trying to get up and he just drags her back to the couch and shoves her down on the couch with her broken leg in a splint. And this is when he says she deserves it. And then he tries to get Miranda because Miranda's left at this point and he, he's going to the front door and he's opening it up and he's looking for Miranda. And Miranda says she's coming. She takes two wooden pieces out of Elaine's splint. And then runs out of the house with Jonah. And she says, be nice to Nikki and Leah. Bye-bye, Mommy. What? Be nice to Leah and Nikki. Now, this is where the movie really kind of lost me. Like, do they have a hive mind? Exactly. Because at this point, it's no longer just an infection that makes them crazy and want to kill people. I mean, we already knew that they were smart enough to be making it look like accidents. Yeah. But I'm okay with that because... There's nothing to suggest that this, like, you know, changes them, like, from being a human. They're still humans, and but now they have these crazy desires. But they still understand rules, and they understand that they are breaking those rules, and so they need to make it look like an accident. I'm fine with that. I can accept that. I can't accept that she would not... If the idea is that she wants to kill her... She would just kill her. Instead, she takes out the splint, which I guess is supposed to immobilize her further. Yeah. But that just requires her to... And then saying, be nice to Leah and Nikki, it makes it seem like they're nefarious, which previously you had not made me think they were nefarious. So I don't understand. (laughs) If a child becomes violent because there's something fucking with their head, right, that's turning their aggression levels up, I could see how they would want to commit murder and they would want to hide it, like you say. What would make them team up? Exactly. What would make them not aggressive towards each other too? And that is that is solidified that that's what's going on. Not just because Leah and Nikki are brother and sister. I can see them working together. But then right in this moment, Miranda says, oh, basically, Leah and Nikki are coming to kill you. Don't hurt them. Mm-hmm. Like an antagonistic teasing kind of way. Exactly. It's it's really, really bizarre. And it. And it throws the infection that caused all this into question. Also, why is it only affecting children? Well, the point is the younger you are, the more affected you are. I guess. And that's hinted at at the end. Anyway, Elaine (laughs) needs to get to her daughter, Casey. And Casey's like, mom, board up the house. Do not let them in. And she locks all the doors. She forgets the cat door. She's climbing up the steps. To the room where Casey is, where it's still locked. It looks like there's a deadbolt on the outside, but she doesn't even ever try it. But there is also a keyhole. So I guess the key is just always left in that door. Where did Jonah get the key? I don't know. (laughs) It's unexplained. He doesn't even live there. How would he know to get it so quickly? Anyway, she's trying to get in and Casey's trying to get out. She can't. And 
then Nikki and Leah show up at the bottom of the stairs. And the mom at first wants to do it. To she kill has the a kids, knife. But then she, she says, I can't. I'm sorry, mouse, which is what she calls which her daughter. Which is what she calls her daughter. And Casey doesn't give up, though. And she ends up kicking the door open. The, which, the if you could panel. have done that the entire time, what the fuck? And this is a long, drawn-out scene mm-hmm. of her, like, scraping and mom and mouse. And the kids slowly walking up the stairs. And then all of a sudden, Casey's like, oh, I'm going to kick this open. And she does. And she grabs Nikki and slams his head down into the exposed wood, killing him. Leah, in this moment, runs away and and gets away. And now Casey and Elaine need to, number one, get out of there. And number two, find Jonah and Miranda. Because Casey's like, Miranda's lost it. Jonah's in trouble, right? And so they get into another car that they have the keys of. (laughs) Okay. And for some reason, the woman with the broken legs. Thank you. Sits behind the driver's seat. Why wouldn't Casey drive? (laughs) Why would Elaine be driving? It doesn't make any sense except to set up the moment that's coming later. So they drive upon Jonah's car and it's crashed and they don't know what's happened to it. And Elaine is really worried and she goes to get out and Casey says, no, don't worry. I'll do it. Of course, you're the one with two fucking working legs, and it might be your dead husband and child. It's just my stepdad and sister. It's it's probably easier for me, right? So she gets out, and she finds Jonah dead outside the car, and Miranda is gone. They were in a car accident, and I did notice that when Miranda and the father got in the car, I noticed that specifically they showed Miranda putting on her seatbelt. And the dad not doing it. Yeah. So the implication here is that she did something to get them to hit a tree. He gets ejected from the car. He's dead. Yes. But Miranda is nowhere to be found. And as Casey's looking around, Elaine sees Miranda running with some sort of weapon towards Casey. And Elaine makes a split decision and drives into Miranda, slamming her into the back of Jonah's car and killing her. Problem. Miranda's dead, but now all the other kids nearby come pouring out of the woods. And Casey vomits. Yes. Now, we don't know why. We don't know why Casey vomits, but she does. It could be all this shit that's finally gotten to her. But it could be that she's starting to get infected. And Elaine needs to make a decision. Does she drive away? from all this insanity, or does she save her daughter? Her last living daughter. And she we see Leah, doesn't. too. She almost doesn't, because the doors are locked, and Casey's trying to get in, and she does unlock it and let Casey in, and they drive away, leaving all the kids, including Leah, behind. Now, the police, the paramedics, they never show up. It's just never a concern. But also... We see Casey staring straight ahead. Looking like she's not feeling too good. Yes. And that's the end of the movie. That's why you don't have kids, guys. <laughs> Leave them behind. Lightning round. <laughs> Listen, here's my note. I wasn't looking at my notes when I talked about this, but oh my God, just get there. This is as we're watching it. How many times do we have to see Miranda staring angrily, Polly looking serious and worried, hints that the pervy uncle wants to bang Casey? Isn't this movie only an hour and a half? Like, when are they going to get to the stuff? 
And then that's when they start building and building and building. And you're like, finally, I have some momentum. Somebody's going to die. And then the whole thing comes to a screeching halt. And then it goes from zero to 60 after that. It's a weird sort of like tonal whiplash. And I know we use that term a lot. I wouldn't call it necessarily tonal, but it's pacing pacing whiplash. Yes. It is, however, believable the way everyone behaves when Robbie dies. I will give it that. But because they're committed to that believability, that's what causes that sort of pacing whiplash. I think this movie was pretty good. It's. I think it's so well shot. The setting makes it absolutely gorgeous. The white snow looks incredible. When Elaine falls and breaks her leg, it's a great moment where she kind of passes out and doesn't know what's going on until Casey pulls her up. And then we see, like, the blood pooling in the snow. I just think... I think this movie is a little amateur. I think this movie is pulling in lots of things from other movies. Sure. I don't think you're wrong. It's a little cliche. I'm talking about how well it's shot. It's 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 shot in such a way that it is it is very beautiful. I'm not saying it's unique, but it's competent. And that's fine. I'm but I wouldn't actually call it competent because I think what I was going to say is it's pulling in a lot of things from other movies. But it doesn't understand why those movies did that. It thought, that looked cool. Yeah. I want to do that for my movie. Do you remember what happened when Polly died? No. Because they're in a greenhouse and because he died on broken glass, there's shattered glass everywhere and it's all falling. And for some reason, the xylophone is in the greenhouse and the glass falls on the xylophone playing a similar tune to what Polly was playing earlier. Oh my God. How far do you have to bend over fucking backwards to make something that you think is going to be totally effective? That's exactly and what it's I'm saying. Totally fucked up. Like it's, it just swing and a miss, just completely. That's what I'm saying. Filmed well, but what they're filming sucks. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. The mommy scene with the baby in Robbie's stomach was very effective, and her getting attacked was very effective. Why did Robbie have to wake up? Why didn't he wake up when his stomach was being cut open? But he does when she pulls the blanket off of I mean, him. I don't know enough about adrenaline, but that might be it. He was dead. <laughs> and then they gut him. <laughs> and then he wakes up just at the moment that they start attacking, only to pass out dead again anyway. <laughs> It was totally unnecessary and a little bit too far. But yeah, I think that, you know, I would compare this movie to Bloody Birthday, Children of the Corn, Village of the Damned, The Brood, The Omen, The Good Son, The Bad Seed. I think it's on par with a lot of those. I think that, but I think that those movies have other things about them that just make them exceed. Yeah. This is kind of like meets expectations. Yeah. Whereas those, or not all of them, but like, Bloody Birthday exceeded my expectations. Yeah. And it had a lo- it had a lot of its own charm. Yeah. This movie is not so charming. Yeah, there isn't enough here that makes it stand up for itself. I was really hoping that I mean they did this with Casey, but I was really hoping they do it with Miranda since she's slightly older. I was hoping that she'd be the secret hero fighting against the other kids and it would be like Slightly older kid versus the younger kid. And because I really liked her throughout the movie. And I didn't get that. And I was a little bit bummed. (laughs) (laughs) 
But again, love the music, love the filmmaking, not a big fan of the story. It's just, again, and we can add this to the list of what now <laughs> at the end of this. I mean, yeah, we assume- all the kids gone crazy because a ton of them come out of the fucking woods at the end. Right. Assuming- and- I'm sorry, but if all the kids go crazy, it's not like it's going to be difficult to wipe them out. Right. (laughs) I know. It's not like, I mean, the only implication is that all the kids are crazy and we're going to have to kill kids now. It's not that this is any kind of major threat. But I think think the point is it's very much like, uh, I guess spoilers for The Invitation. If you haven't seen The Invitation, then... You, you maybe don't know what I'm talking about here, but the end of this movie, I think, is supposed to feel like the end of Invitation, where, oh my god, this is bigger than what we thought it was. It's not just this one isolated incident. It's happening everywhere, and the children were at least somewhat successful. Yes. And I mean, they, they will be until the government finds out. Right, And then yeah. they're just gone. It's not, it is not that bad of a threat is the right. problem. But what happens to Elaine? In the scenario, I mean, I guess you're right. Because all the kids go crazy, it wouldn't be hard to say the kids went crazy. I guess I guess that's a good point. It's not so much of a what now as I thought originally. <laughs> uh, that's, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. So, Kelsey. Yeah. Oh, first, what was with the radio? <laughs> they keep that going back to this fucking radio. <laughs> And it goes, again, goes fucking nowhere. Yeah, it's got a lot. Of, this movie has a lot of frayed threads. I mean, that's yeah. just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It, it, like I said, I think this is a very amateur made film. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? Does it have it one? It does. 72. Wow. It has a 75. The critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is unsettling and spine-chilling, low-budget British horror with effective and disturbing scares. But then some of these responses, IGN says, The children has it all and is guaranteed to please even the hardest to satisfy horror fan. That's not true. I think we established, if you go back and you listen to our last episode about our top 10 and our bottom 10 and how we differ from critics, we're actually less critical than your average critic. (laughs) And it absolutely did not satisfy me. No. Uh, The Children is a flawlessly mounted horror film. Flawless? That knows exactly how to scare its audience. Nope. What? (laughs) uh, This is from The Guardian. The violence is skillfully enough executed to make you think you see much more than you actually do. Ha! Which is true, (laughs) but it causes more problems of its own, which we discussed. Mm -hmm. And the fundamentally disturbing and creeping aspects about such random and unpredictable child-centric mayhem are always present, no matter how ludicrously intense and darkly humorous things get. I don't think it gets so darkly humorous. I don't think there's a whole lot of humor in this movie whatsoever. Yeah, this isn't a a horror comedy at all. No, not at all. Like, not even a little bit. Right. (laughs) If you want to watch a movie where kids kill and are actual killers, not like the omen where he's just spooky and creepy, but are actual killers, there is Bloody Birthday and there is Children of the Corn. Village of the Dam. Village of the Dam. The Good Son. The Good Son, yeah. The Bad Seed. The Bad Seed. The Brood. The the Brood. (laughs) Well... (laughs) I don't think this is also unique 
And I don't think we should give it credit for tapping into that, you know, the primal fear of the unknowability of children <laughs> as Time Out mentions. <laughs> like, it, it does not deserve that credit. <laughs> what would you give it? I thought it was a valiant effort. I thought it had it a was. lot. I thought it had a lot of potential. I will give it a 69. 69, dudes. <laughs> that was that's funny. I was going to give it a 65. I originally had 68, but then I was like as we're talking about it. So if, for you guys that don't know, I do write down my score ahead of time and I don't change it like I don't base my score on what Kelsey says. We just happen to usually fall pretty closely. But as we're talking, I'm like, no, nah, I can't give it that much. Like Ghost Keeper, it makes sense. I feel more that this would have been a competent movie if they had the money to follow through on it. With this, I think if they had the material to work with in the first place. <laughs> and that is only the director's fault because he's the writer. <laughs> like – I can't give you points for that like I could to Ghost Keeper, where I was like, oh, man, if only you had the support you needed, you could have made a really good movie. <laughs> can't say that about the children, unfortunately. So that was 2008's The Children, and thus concludes our first episode of the year and our two-week New Year celebration. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Okay. Next week um, is a recommendation. Ooh, yay. So next week is Chloe's recommendation of Winchester. Okay. She wanted us to pair Winchester with Rose Red, which we could not do. Right, because they're in the same era. They're both within the past 20 years. So instead, we're going to do The Legend of Hell House with Winchester. Okay, more spooky houses. Yes, uh, I've seen Legend of Hell House. I think it's great, except for the ending. I hate the ending. I've heard, I haven't. I've heard that Winchester is a great premise poorly executed. I've heard that Winchester is awful. Yeah. I know very few people that saw it. The one person I think I know that saw it said it was god-awful. It got terrible reviews. It didn't look good to me, but Chloe, we will watch it for yeah. you. Yeah. It's a real big bummer because Helen Mirren is Bay. <laughs> I don't want her to be in a I bad movie. I'm pretty shocked that Helen Mirren would be in a bad movie. She's not. Oh, I'm sure she's been in bad movies. Well, I'm before. sure she has too. But like to be the main character of a really uh -huh. bad movie, and it has. It also has the the ever that guy in movies, Jason Clark. Oh. <laughs> He's very much that guy. He's the guy you're like, oh, it's that guy. He manages to be the lead in so many movies, but nobody knows his name. That is Jason Clark. He was the lead in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which was very good. And he was okay in it. He's a perpetually okay that guy. We'll see what he does in this movie. I think you'll be excited to know yeah. that one of the main characters from The Legend of Hell House yes. is the dude from Fright Night who plays the actor. Roddy McDowell. Cool. I hope he is just as hammy as he was in that. I think you will like Legend of Hell House. Okay, we'll see how it turns out. That is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. That's our website where you can access every one of our episodes. You can also contact us through there, comment on any of them, leave a recommendation. There's also a list in visual form. Of every single movie we have reviewed so far, so you can 
just find one that looks interesting to you and dive into our back catalog that way. I think that's very effective. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. Oftentimes, I'll post things while I'm editing things that we think of after the microphones are off. Or you can email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. As always, we really appreciate you guys listening. That's the biggest thing you could possibly do for us. And we love you. Second biggest thing you can do is share us with your friends. And third biggest thing is write and rate. So write a five-star review. That really, really helps us out quite a bit. So thank you very much for those of you who have done that. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Any last words? I should learn to never go places with geological engineers. To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Smolens and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones You can take our advice, mine or Kelsey's Where do you find it? I don't know <laughs> Did we watch it on Amazon? I don't know Alright, Kelsey, before we move on to our next movie Trivial Pursuit. Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Not just because Leah and Robbie. What's the other fucking kid's name? Nikki. Nikki. Happy New Year's, everybody. Happy New Year's, everybody. I said Happy New Year's. So did I. It's Happy New Year. I know. You want to do it again? <laughs>